0: God is holy. Now, I'm talking about something completely unique that the Bible talks about, and that is the holiness of the Lord. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Himmler.
1: I'm Janice. And
0: this is Bible Discovery TV, a program designed to take you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're doing it, and today we're in Psalms. This is a great day. Okay, Corey, you're with uh, Ryan. What's going on?
2: Well, today I'm going to be taking a look at the Old Testament Apocrypha. Ryan?
0: Today, as
3: part of our creation series, I'm doing an important study on the human spine. Does it show evidence that we evolved from four-legged creatures or that we were specially created by God?
0: Now, this is interesting, both of those reports. I look forward to that coming up in about 20 minutes time. It's going to be great. Janice, what did you do?
1: Today, my segment, Worship Only God.
0: All right, get your Bible out and your Bible guide. Let's turn to today's passage as we study Psalm 99. Very interesting.
1: psalm 99 the lord reigns let the peoples tremble he dwells between the cherubim let the earth be moved the lord is great in zion and he is high above all the peoples let them praise your great and awesome name he is holy the king's strength also loves justice you have established equity You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 99
0: God is always holy. Can you believe that? We read from Psalm 95 to Psalm 100 today. In Psalm 99 we read, and it is interesting because God is always perfectly holy. Now the word holy means sacred or set apart. In the context of God, it emphasizes the separation of God's goodness from evil of sin. Now, from living in the spirit, capital S, or living in the flesh in this world. Likewise, God calls us to be holy. For example, you shall be holy for I am holy. First Peter chapter one, verse 16, New Testament. And also Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. But he also calls us to be perfect. Matthew chapter five, verse 48. Now, perfection does not refer to power. Or ability, it simply means completeness. To be perfect, then, is to be made whole. To be holy is to dedicate your life to God by separating your thought processes and actions from the world. You are in the world, but not of the world. Now, in Psalm 99, the author mentions three names he mentions Moses, he mentions Aaron, and Samuel these men were pillars of the jewish faith they were holy men of god moses took god's word and wrote them down so that the people of israel that they could worship correctly worshiping only god the god of holiness the god of perfection samuel the 13th judge of israel brought the people of israel back to correct worship of god also who we worship reflects the way we worship. Now in Psalm 99, we learn who God is. And a lot of people make that mistake today, who is God, who God is. Well, the Bible is very clear on this answer and I want to encourage you to get your Bible guide if you don't have one. And I'm here to say that you need to develop a regular Bible reading habit in your life to digest the word of God on a regular basis very important to do so. It also keeps your life stable. that's, That's important too. So that's what we need to do today. Holiness and perfection. Father, I pray today that we would understand because we have accepted that justice and real holiness is not really a reality, but it is, Lord. It's a reality because you are holy and you are real. And so, Father, we pray today that you would show us your ways and teach us your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ and we all said together amen and amen. Now let's explore this passage and learn what God has said to us because it's important. Psalm 99 verses 1 through 3. Here is what the psalm says. The Lord reigns let the peoples tremble. The Lord reigns let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim, the angels. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all of the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. And I love this part three words He is holy. Now that is absolutely stunning. God is holy, beloved we must be careful in how we worship god worship is not about us it's about god i know a lot of people don't necessarily agree with me on that but it's true everything in the bible that points israel to worship is about god and how god miraculously changed us it's not about us And I tell you, there's one kind of thing you can see in the music industry and it's all got money all wrapped around it, but worship does not need money. Worship is simply us singing and praising the Lord. And I I think that's important for us to remember today because we need to keep that in our heart. We need to keep that in our mind that anybody can worship and the great musicians who worship, they don't need money to do that. Express their talents and their abilities according to God. Very interesting there. We, we will discuss that at another time in the New Testament. It's very interesting. Psalm 99 verse four, here's what it says. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord, O, o our God, and worship him at his footstool. Again, here's those three words. For he is holy. That brings me to the second point. Holiness is expressed in perfect justice. Perfect justice only comes from God. Absolutely true. There is perfect justice. I know there's justice in this world. But there is perfect justice when we come to the Lord because nobody gets away with anything. Now, Keep that in mind because there's coming a time very soon when God's going to come back and there's going to be a judgment take place. I want to tell you something. Uh, It is not a pretty sight for some people, but for me, I am glad because I have Jesus Christ representing me. And I said, Lord, I take you as Lord of my life and help me to change. And God has taken my case as he can yours. If you ask him, if you believe in him and if you trust him and say, Jesus Christ come into my heart and be with me today he will do so beloved because he loves you now that's very important to remember so keep that in mind god will judge at the end of time absolutely true now let's go on to verses 6 through 9 this is interesting moses and aaron were among his priests and samuel was among those called upon his name who called upon his name they called upon the lord and he answered them he spoke to them in the cloudy pillar They kept his testimonies and his ordinances he gave them. You answer them, O Lord, our God. You answer them, O Lord, our God. And you were to them, God who forgives. That's one word in Hebrew. You were to him, God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. So exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord is holy. God is holy. Now that brings me to the third point. Pay attention to this one. God speaks to the unholy people. That's me. That's you. That's us. Because he is a Lord who forgives. God has made a way for us to be holy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I believe with all my heart. And this word is about him. The Old and New Testament. And this is the way we have to understand what God has said. And so if you want to open your life up, and literally that's what it is, and make the Lord your God, pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross. We killed you. And that on the third day you rose from the dead in the flesh. Seen by many people in that day. And I believe in you now. And in Jesus' wonderful name, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Because I need the holy and perfect God as my God. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And as a part of my month-long study of creation, today I'm focused on the human spine. And our backs, particularly our lower backs, are considered to be a part of our body's core. And there are some important questions regarding our spine, specifically around its design. See, there has been some question as to its functionality due to so many people struggling with back pain. And some have gone so far as to claim that back trouble is a remnant of our evolution from four-legged creatures. Now the argument goes that if there truly was a God who created, then our spines would be better designed. But is back pain truly due to bad design? Well, let's study. According to a somewhat recent report, millions of people worldwide suffer from back pain. In fact, according to two Australian studies, as well as the Global Burden of Disease study, back pain, and in particular lower back pain, is the single leading cause of disability worldwide. While back pain is generally attributed to improper diet, the overloading of the spine, or even improper lifting habits, some have claimed that the ultimate cause of back pain is evolution. According to the evolutionary worldview, our ancestors were quadrupeds, and therefore our spinal column wasn't designed for upright posture. In other words, back pain is due to design flaws in the human spine, supposedly because we imperfectly evolved from four-legged creatures. Richard Dawkins defends and explains this view. The problem, he says, is that our ancestors walked for hundreds of millions of years on all fours, with the backbone held more or less horizontally, and it doesn't take kindly to the sudden readjustment imposed by the last few million years. And the point, says Dawkins, is that a real designer of an upright walking primate would have gone back to the drawing board and done the job properly, instead of starting with a quadruped and tinkering. However, scientist Jonathan Sarfati says Dawkins is out of touch with real experts of the spine who disagree. For instance, the late Professor Richard Porter, who was Director of Education and Training for the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, and who published more than 60 papers in peer-reviewed journals on spinal disorders alone, explained how the inward curve of the lumbar spine, the lordosis, was thought by evolutionists to be a problem, the result of man standing upright. Therefore, Porter says, some researchers may look at a patient with back pain and say it's because mankind has recently stood upright and the spine has not yet evolved satisfactorily. If therapists have the wrong starting assumption, says Porter, then it's not surprising that they have advocated treatments to reduce the lordosis, which made the problem worse. Porter, however, had a different starting assumption. He believed that God is the creator, and therefore the form of his creation always matches its function. When you start to examine the biomechanics of the curved spine with this starting assumption, says Porter, asking why it's that shape and what's good about it, you find that the arch of the spine has a beautiful purpose. It's like the arch of a bridge. It adds strength. Because of that arch in the lumbar spine, a man with a lumbar lordosis can lift proportionately more weight than a gorilla with its outwardly curving spine. Thus, it's not surprising that treating back pain with postures and exercises that restore the lordosis work exceedingly well. The form clearly does match the function, which of course provides absolutely no support for evolutionary ideas. Despite the proclamations, the ultimate cause of back pain is not evolution. On the contrary, it's devolution, an expectant result of the curse. So, while some evolutionists may claim that the human spine is of poor design, actual spinal experts disagree. In reality, the form perfectly fits its function. We also saw how having the wrong starting assumptions can actually hinder scientific advancement. Those who believed we evolved up from the animals tried to reduce the lordosis in humans instead of restoring it, and they made the problem a lot worse. There are also some key questions that you can ask someone who claims that back pain is a remnant of evolution. One question you can ask is this. So, do you mean that the human back, if treated properly, isn't equipped for the range of lifestyles that humans down through history needed to endure? Another question you could ask is this. So, do you mean that animals on all fours have no back trouble at all? And another question would be, would the human backbone function well on all fours? And you can see it's questions like these that reveal the absolute absurdity of this claim by evolutionists. Make no mistake, we didn't evolve up from the animals as is commonly claimed. We were, as God told us in His Word, directly and specially created by Him in His very image. This means that we're not animals. Animals can't have a saving relationship with God, but we, His image bearers, can. He's made a way for us to live forever with Him through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. The question to you is, will you accept His offer of salvation today if you haven't already. Time is running out.
0: In fact, time is running out, Ryan, and uh, we need to just say to people that if you want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus closes the mention of His name, and you just say, Lord, I believe that we, we killed you. You died on the cross because of our hands, and we trust and understood that when we killed you, that was it, but three days later, you rose from the dead in the flesh. It was shocking. And uh, Father, I need your help in my life today. Be the Lord of my life, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord of my life. That's very important. So if you want to pray that prayer, do so now because the Lord will hear you. Father, touch the people listening right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Corey.
2: All right. Well, today we're going to be delving into some biblical issues. We're going to be taking a look at Christian history as well. We're talking about the Old Testament Apocrypha. So these are books uh, that some segments of Christianity think are a part of the Old Testament, while other parts of Christianity do not accept as a part of the official inspired uh, canon of the Old Testament. Now, this needs to be distinguished from the New Testament apocrypha which is a thing in and of itself today we're we're still studying through the old testament so we're going to limit ourselves to just the very much more ancient than the new testament old testament apocrypha let's take a look the books of the old testament were written over a period of about 1500 years and while the authors varied greatly in age and social status they all shared one thing in common public recognition as a prophet of God. But there are other ancient books whose origins and standing aren't as clear. Today, they're called the Old Testament Apocrypha. Since the 1500s, the Catholic Church has officially accepted them as part of their Bible, while Protestants side with Judaism in rejecting them as part of the scriptures, though often still recognizing their worth as supplementary material. If the Old Testament Apocrypha is scripture, then we're free to develop teachings about God from it. However, if it's not equal to scripture, then it does not have authority to create new teachings or modify teachings found in scripture. A main issue is whether or not it's been accepted as scripture by the majority of the church throughout time. While Christian history clearly portrays a split as exemplified by our current day and age, there are many who argue that it was accepted in New Testament Christianity. And the New Testament does allude to some of the Old Testament Apocrypha and even in one case quotes from an apocryphal book. The New Testament authors also quote from pagan poets of their day, referencing a truth in culture is not the same thing as claiming divine inspiration for the culture. So too with the Old Testament Apocrypha, some of its books were a part of New Testament culture. But allusions to truths in them does not mean an overall approval of their content, nor is it a claim of divine inspiration. Often, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, the formula, it is written, or the scriptures say, is used. This formula is never used of the Apocrypha. The Council of Trent in 1546 is when the Catholic Church declared the Apocrypha Scripture. But history warns us this may have been a reaction to the newly formed, rapidly growing Reformation movement. Wherever you land in the debate, all can agree the 39 books of the Old Testament are older and have enjoyed permanent acceptance. And while the debate persists, all can agree that the Old Testament Apocrypha does have cultural, spiritual value. The debate is over just how much... So again, no matter where you land on this debate, it is you know it's important to consider the other side's point of view, and it is important to evaluate the books, uh, you know, from uh, the the evidence that we have for their composition and for their age and, and all of that. Regardless of where you sit on this, I sit on the Protestant side of the fence, where I think that the the Old Testament Apocrypha is tremendously interesting reading. A lot of it is even beneficial reading. However, I do not believe that uh, we can create teachings out of it, that we can create doctrines and things of that nature from it, uh, because it is not of the same caliber as the rest of the Old Testament. That is where I sit, because I sit on the Protestant side of the fence. But I understand that there's some of you that don't hold that belief as well. But I think it's important to acknowledge both sides and understand. Uh, both sides of this argument so that we can kind of come to a meeting place and and all get along.
0: God's word is uh, referred to as God's word, as the words of the Holy Spirit, because that's the spirit of God. And uh, I think it's important what what I believe as well is the sixty-six books yeah. written by the forty authors are God's word. And I think that's very important to establish yeah. as, we, as we focus on. This.
2: I think you know a defining characteristic for me is is noting how the New Testament authors treat the Apocrypha versus how they treat well, the other Old Testament books. When you know they do refer to the apocryphal writings, but they don't introduce it. It is written in Scripture. God has said they don't introduce it in quite the same way. Yeah. Um, so that that's something that I think we should take note of.
0: Yeah, I think that's very, very important. Very interesting. Okay, Janice.
1: Yes, well, I titled my segment today, Worship Only God. I'm looking at Psalm 99 as well as Rod's study today. And there's this interesting mention of Moses, Aaron, and Samuel in the middle of Psalm 99. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, meaning God, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. And so with that, it's the same God, it's the same Lord for us today, as God was for them yesterday, and who will be for all of his saints forever. And we learn in Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I loved this line where it says, God spoke to them in the cloudy pillar, that's verse seven. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. They were very careful to follow the Lord their God. And I think it's fitting for us today as it was for them back then, as it will be for God's people in the ages to come to do what it says in the last verse of Psalm 99 exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy we always need to as believers those of us who say that we are Christians meaning we have given our lives to him to follow him that we do as Moses and Aaron and Samuel did they kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them now we know that we cannot follow the laws the laws were not given for our salvation the law was given so that we could actually see how there is no human way that we can keep them but they are good for us to follow in our lives to follow god but that's why rod we Mm -hmm. need jesus christ in our lives. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When we come to Christ, and you led people to pray that earlier in the program, when we come to that realization, and everybody does have to come to a realization of who who is Jesus Christ to me? Is he just some man in a book? Or is he who he says he was, the Son of God, who came and gave his life willingly on the cross, died to, shed His blood, and through the shedding of His blood brings forgiveness of sins, and then three days later rose in the flesh from the dead to give us everlasting life. Is He who He says He is, um, or is He not? And I think it's really important for us to, to come to that realization of who He is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we need to follow Him with our lives.
0: Because that's the point. I mean, that's the point of Jesus Christ, that's and that's right. the point.
1: We can't We can't fulfill the laws in of ourselves, exactly. we can't do it.
0: But when we come to know Christ, Christ begins to work in exactly. us. Exactly, His Holy Spirit inside of us yes. moves us in a direction that's quite different from our human experience, or our human desires. And we realize that we are moving in a direction of the... Every wall. day, yeah. every
1: day that we live and we have that relationship with God, we follow after Him and we need to keep ourselves moldable in His hands and in His Word.
0: Join us on YouTube and Facebook and Bible Discovery TV for a live prayer meeting at 3.30 New York time or Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Standard Time here in America. And uh, we'll pray for you live. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, today we pray and we say, Lord, I praise your name for making me holy. Help me to praise you every single day of my life. Father, I need to praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen.